I think the more you're put in those critical decision points where you have to make a decision and you're not given a safety net for falling back onto, I think those are the moments where you grow the most, where you're the most uncomfortable. This podcast is brought to you by Merksec, the specialists in security, search, and recruitment solutions. Visit MerckSec.com to connect today. Welcome to Destination Cyber, the podcast where we sit down with cyber industry leaders and movers and shakers and find out what makes them tick. We explore their careers, the mistakes they made, trials and tribulations, lessons learnt, and the invaluable insights and knowledge they've picked up along the way. Now here's your host, Lachlan Korn. Kyla Guru is a freshman at Stanford University and founder of CEO of Bits and Bytes Cybersecurity Education and a member of the junior advisory board of the One in Tech Foundation. Kyla is also the co-founder of Girl Contra Cargo Conference and has championed her message of cybersecurity resilience on national and international stages, including TEDx, NIST and NICE conferences. And she's also been in the 2019 Harvard Book Prize Award winner. Hello, Kyla. How are you going? Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited to be here. And that was a really sweet introduction. Thank you for that. (laughs) Yeah, excited for today. Yeah, lovely. And thank you for joining us all the way from California. So for all our audiences, it's a nice bit of a time difference. So thank you for taking the time out of the way. So obviously, there's a lot to a lot to unpack just from the bio. And that wasn't even a, you know, a full full sort of coverage of everything that you've done. So I guess let's start from a bit of just an, I guess, an overview and start from there. So can you tell us a bit about what these current projects and jobs you currently have and give us a bit of a rundown on what they sort of entail with your, in terms of your like current life and job trajectory right now. Yeah, so happy to do so. I guess I can give each project a little bit of a rundown. So, and and for a little context, so this all kind of started when I was about 14 years old and I went to what we have in the States, we have an NSA Gen Cyber Camp. The NSA sponsors these educational one-week programs for high school students. So when I was entering high school, I was always the type of kid that I would get really like jittery over summer and I would always want something to do. So my parents signed me up for whatever was available. And it was really nice that this program was free. So it ended up working out super nicely. I went to Purdue University for one week. And that was kind of where my passion slash interest in cybersecurity really started to bud. I think that was where I started getting an understanding of like, hey, look, these are such complex issues of the way that systems are abused and the way that computers and technology is hacked. But at the end of the day, a lot of these issues boil down to humans and empowering humans or the lack of empowerment that humans have to make small behavioral changes with regards to cyber hygiene. So noticing that, I kind of took it upon myself to revolutionize the way that K-12 systems and schools spoke about cybersecurity. I wanted people to see it as an absolute necessity and for us to teach it in the classroom from the very first time that a young child powers on their first device, because I do think it's that critical for them to understand that you cannot exclude safety from the exploration and fun that is the internet. Overall, Bits and Bytes started as sort of the small Thanksgiving project that I took on myself. I created this small animation video that then 
kind of transformed into blog posts and website and the three curriculum packages that we have now. So that is sort of the work there. And then spinning off of that, at some point in the journey, I realized that I I was typically the only woman speaking about these issues in the room. I would Mm. join these conference calls or these meetings and physically be in spaces where I was the shortest, the youngest, the only woman, the only woman of color, and the only daughter of immigrants. And just realizing that this was not a individual issue. I talked to peers who had similar kind of thoughts. And even one of my friends was dropping out of her computer science cyber class. And I asked her why. And she told me, Kyla, I just don't think it's relevant to the career that I want in the future. And hearing that was when I sort of like asked her, like, why do you think that? And she w- she responded saying that she wanted to work in fashion. And she didn't think that fashion and technology were related to each other. And I wanted to kind of combat that stereotype as well and that mindset. So my peer and I got together and we started this conference that now runs annually across the world called GirlCon Conference, and it's a women's empowerment event. So those are kind of the two main spheres where I live and and work and enjoy. Um, But outside of that, I'm also a student at Stanford studying computer science and international security and really passionate about how we can embed safety and security into product design. My goodness. Wow. That's a very impressive opening. How do you balance all these things? I mean, studying and then also two other big major projects. How do you find that you're able to balance work and life? That's such a good question. And I honestly feel like balance is something that I I have not achieved yet. (laughs) And honestly, like, I feel like it's a little bit of a myth that you can always be balanced. I think there are definitely days, months, weeks that I'm more tilted towards focusing on bits and bytes partnerships or projects. And then there's weeks specifically near finals or exam periods where I'm very much just focused on work for school. So I would say that the, the strategy that I've found that works best is to embed kind of what I'm passionate about into my schoolwork. For example, taking classes in security or taking classes that are project classes that allow me to build apps that are related to security. Those sorts of things kind of keep me on my feet with regards to my passions, but also let me grow as a student and an academic. So in that vein, I think there is a way to find a fusion of the two. And also, of course, having a strong support system, having friends that really care for me or, you know, are truly there when I need it, whether that means like bringing dinner when they know I haven't eaten all night because I'm on calls or Mm. or whatever that might look like. I think just having people there that understand what story you're writing is also critical. I mean, Kylie, you really seem to break the mold. And especially, I guess, in Australia, where you have a lot of students who generally primarily put all their resources into studying, getting their degree done, then moving on and working for a partner or doing some sort of part-time work. Why, how do you manage to take those ideas during a time of studying and evolve them into what they have become today? What was the step-by-step process? Did it start off really slow or did it gain traction really quickly? And how did you manage all those different time constraints because of it? Yeah, that's also a great question. Honestly, I think it just starts with noticing an issue or something in your community that you think is a solvable issue. Honestly, I would even take away solvable. I think every issue has some sort of solution, but I would just start by noticing some problem 
and a user group that's affected by the problem. For me, that was looking at my K-12 system, realizing we didn't have existing curriculum and students were vulnerable for cyber attack or data breaches. So realizing that issue, number one, was sort of the first step. And then from there, launching into, okay, what can I do? Realizing that you have the skills in you already inherently to start something, whether that means some grassroots project in your community, building an app, or bringing people together to even have a town hall and discuss these issues. You can do something from the very beginning. So I think starting there, I, I never really felt like I was limited in what I could do, I guess, because of age specifically. I think there's a myth that you need a certain amount of certifications or degrees or qualifications to move forward and build something really, really cool that people are, but that people are motivated to take part in. So that's another thing. And then I guess also just keeping in mind that you yourself are is like you are always learning as a student yourself, regardless if you're an adult fully out of school or if you're five, six, seven years old, you're learning something new all the time. And that's how it should be. So I think just being this lifelong learner and keeping my eyes peeled and my ears listening for problems in the world, really. Definitely. And when you mention certain amount of like you don't need specifically certain amount of degrees and certifications. Why do you continue studying then your international security course when you have these other projects sort of happening? Would you ever consider leaving or do you find that it's very applicable and you're able to use a lot of that content to help grow the other projects that you're working on? Or what yeah. has your attitude towards your degree changed since starting these projects? Yeah, well, I think everything that I learn in school or when I'm doing practically applying my degree in internships, all of those experiences, I just take back and fuel into more work for my organization. And without that kind of creative stimulation at school to think about these issues and dive into them in the nuanced level, I really think that you kind of reach this point as an entrepreneur or a social leader that it's hard to grow from there. So again, just emphasizing the idea that you are a lifelong learner and whatever that looks like for you, it definitely doesn't have to take the traditional degree approach. But if that looks like taking certifications or other courses, things to supplement your everyday like projects, I think that's really, really unique and like definitely something that will just make your projects more enhanced and better for, for your users. Mm. And what would you say has been the hardest thing that you've experienced so far in these, in these different organizations? Well, I, th I think growing and scaling is an issue that every organization faces at some point when you truly care about a central issue that's gaining traction. I think scaling has looked incredibly different as a student founder, just realizing that my five-year plan is going to take into account a lot of things about my life and my academic journey as well as the future of the organization. So I think just navigating what does it look like for me to be involved with these organizations throughout my career has been a challenge and definitely something that has made me grow and just grow into a leader that can make more executive decisions about, okay, this is right, this feels wrong, this, this is wrong. Like those sorts of like trusting my gut more. I used to sort of like, question when people and leaders said like trust your gut and grow an instinct for your response but I think mm. the more you're put in those critical decision points where you have to make a decision 
and you're not given a safety net for falling back onto, I think those are the moments where you grow the most, where you're the most uncomfortable. So I, at the same time, I think like trusting your gut comes with being put in those uncomfortable situations, learning how to trust your gut. So yeah, I guess I took it on a tangent, but I would say in general, the challenge has been growing while the company grows. I mean, amazing. I mean, obviously it's doing really well at the beginning. I mean, doing really well now. And in terms of this this process, obviously you have a lot of good characteristics that are exemplified in sort of an entrepreneurial mm. style way. And, you know, you're very passionate, obviously, what you do. And this is this process, can this be achieved by anyone or do you really have to be a certain person and character with this, you know, with in, in that sense to be able to pursue something similar with with what you've basically done? Yeah, well, number one, I think everybody in this world observes the world and has certain qualms about the way that the world operates, right? When you look at how you cross the street, some people look at the street, like timing that it gives you, it counts down from 20 seconds to zero, right? And they see that and they think, I wish this were longer. And I wish this would give a chance for people who are maybe slower walkers or in wheelchairs. I wish this would give them an opportunity to cross and feel safe, right? Or, or you're observing things like, I hate the way that this website like operates because it's too clunky or I don't like this. Like you're always having those opinions. And I think everybody has those sort of opinions about how they think that they can make the world a better place. And with that, I feel like that qualifies everyone to think about like, oh, this could actually potentially be a solvable issue that I could take on. And I think from there, I wouldn't say there's a specific skill set required, but I do think in terms of what you need to be on this path of social entrepreneurship, I think it takes like a certain level of sacrifice, determination, passion, dedication, and probably just a curiosity to keep being in beta, like be willing to fail and fail forward, fail many times and like fail fast so that you can iterate really quickly and innovate quickly. I think all those sorts of things fold into what it looks like to be someone who like scales really quickly and is just an adaptable leader. Mm. And through your experiences so far, what pieces of advice would you give to others who may think of joining the cybersecurity realm, whether it's more in the direction of education or in just other fields? I think, first of all, everybody should look at cyber as a potential career path. I think right now we're facing this enormous skills gap because we have this giant miscommunication issue or communications issue that we're not getting out that everyone can be a part and involved in the cyber revolution. It doesn't have to take a specific coder in the basement wearing a hoodie, sitting in the dark, coding all day. That's not what someone in cybersecurity looks like. The leaders that I've met, the, the boss female leaders who are wearing pink suits in the workplace and making executive decisions about offensive cyber operations. Those sorts of figures show me that everyone can be involved with cyber and we need everyone at the table. When you look at product security, we need people who come from specific identity groups or vulnerable populations to help inform product development in a better and safer way. So first of all, I think everyone can be involved in cyber, whether you like writing, there's a spot for you in threat intelligence or technical report writing, whether you like international relations, 
I worked the summer in international cyber policy and strategy. So that's definitely like there's area there for your ideas or product design and being involved in the, the development of like these apps and wearables and technologies that we use on a day to day basis. So I think getting started wise, just throw yourself into a situation where, again, you might feel a little bit uncomfortable, whether that be your first cyber competition, sign up for a pen testing competition or a capture the flag or go out and go to a cyber event in your county or your community, right? Find a conference that's friendly to accept you as like a student and just join one or two discussions and roundtables and see if you like it. Or take a class in your school, take your very first computer science class and go from there, right? Pivot and see like, do I like threat intel? Do I like policy and governance? And honestly, just keep an open mind because the space is evolving so much that the job you have in the future probably doesn't even exist today. It's great pieces of advice, really good. I guess what I'm trying to understand a little bit is obviously as a student myself and trying to get into the shoes of people who may have similar, I guess, apathy towards cyber security risks. I mean, we talk about the cyber security risks and I was watching your TEDx Chicago recording. I was like, wow, that's really interesting. And you were talking about all these risks that are associated and how it's so impactful. And you're talking about the, the Sony hack and the WannaCry attack. And those things are very big. But do you feel that sometimes people are shrouded in an optimist? optimism bias where all that happens to those big companies it doesn't really happen to me i don't need to be worried about my safety why would anyone want my information it's all very hard to be personally affected until that you were hacked and then even then people generally change their accounts like their password and re-sign in i mean you have your information signed up in tiktok and instagram who already take a lot of that information so i guess question is how do you project these ideas of act of risk and how that actually does impact people on an individual level and getting rid of that stigma that it all probably won't happen to me because I'm just that one individual on a bunch of a billion other codes that may not actually impact my day-to-day life. Yeah, absolutely. I would say that, yes, I sometimes see that perspective that you're saying of the optimism bias. But on the flip side, a lot of the time, what I see when I'm talking to students is this the the opposite, right? The negative, the negative thoughts about cybersecurity thinking, hey, they already have my data. What does it even mean for me to be doing cybersecurity at this point? I know that I've been hacked at least one or two times by massive companies. What does it mean? Like, why do I have to do this? Why is it so important for my security? I think that is what is sort of the dangerous perspective of that, like, apathy towards not understanding cyber and your your data footprint. I think once people see like there is still risk of you putting data out there and not taking steps to protect yourself, even if you know your data has been breached in a breach, take care of that incident, right? Change your password and set up some more reform of, of like your policies that you have in your account, your privacy policies for your Facebook account or your social media accounts to make sure they're ready and strong and secure for the next attack, right? There's always something we could be doing and realizing that like the risk is immense of us not doing this, right? It's it's identity theft or it looks like our information being sold on the illegal markets or address being given away. I always give the example of if somebody came up to you on the street 
and asked you for your physical address and the times that you sleep at night, would you just give it to them? Like, would you be willing to, you know, have that conversation? For a lot of people, that answer is no. But that also doesn't translate to the way that we think about our cyber safety. So what if we had that sort of mindset? That would be so transformative, right? To think about, oh, I actually care about all of my information and carries such value to me. So I kind of encourage people to think about all of those things and then also look at how we connect to the bigger picture. As small little citizens on this world, it's hard for us to sometimes understand the nebulous nature of how we're interconnected to the communities and groups and schools and nations that we're a part of. But if we don't secure ourselves, we could be the weak link that takes down our school network or our entire community or the company that you're a part of, right? All it takes is one mm. person to click a social engineering email to compromise an entire network. Or all it takes is one person to respond to a voice phishing, um, voice phishing campaign and give away a password. So think about yourself as a a part of this bigger picture. And then when we think about national security, we think about all it takes is one person, right? Again, to compromise an entire nation. So I think that also helps with putting yourself as a puzzle piece in this larger picture and understanding that if I keep myself safe, I'm keeping my loved ones safe. I'm keeping my friends safe. I'm keeping my community safe. And from there, it kind of comes naturally. No, I'm really glad you brought that up. Really glad because I think you've you've highlighted a really good point that the links between physical risk can also be just as dangerous in the, in the cyber world. I think people seem to sort of detach themselves from the cyber risks and because it's not physically impacting your physical in like in the in that specific moment, but it could easily be interrupting your actual life in the programs because you put all like you said all that information up there and I think that you highlight that really well again in that TED talk which I recommend all the viewers to go watch because it was amazing if you go TEDx Chicago kind of guru really good you mentioned Maslow's law and the fact that you know security is the is the second most fundamental need as you go towards that self-actualization and I think people seem to just forget that cyber is now a part of that physical security security in its definition is is changed so much since the technological revolution so I just think that that's something that people seem to underestimate. And I think yeah. that it's important to highlight, to highlight those things, like you said, really well. Yeah, uh, that's so true. And I, I think about that in the sense of schools, right, too. Like, you might remember growing up, I definitely do, of, like, learning about safety in the chemical laboratory. Mm. And I talk about this a little bit in my speech as well that you mentioned. And thank you for pointing that out and <laughs> your kind words there. But, um, but. I think in our K-12 system, we put so much focus on like, don't talk to strangers and have good habits, like brushing your teeth in the morning and cleaning your hands after you go to the bathroom. We teach like those sorts of life skills, but I feel like reimagining cyber as a life skill would be transformative now because truly like our entire lives are online. Like the way that we interact with people, we are talking to strangers online and that's just the nature of it, right? We're starting to talk to them at ages of, 10, 11, 12, even though websites have these policies of 13, right? It's not always like, we're not always living by the rules online. So understanding the new use cases and adapting to this new world is definitely important. Is there big opportunities in this education side of cybersecurity compared to other cybersecurity fields? I mean, there are obviously, you know, those penetration testers and those sort of business oriented, you know, directives, but 
education, how would you describe its maturity phase in the cybersecurity industry? Is it at its very beginning phase and, ex- and undergoing expansion? Is it already in that expansion stage or is it sort of maturing in its expansion phase? And then would you recommend people who may be interested in education and a bit in cybersecurity, would, they, would you recommend them going through that pathway? Is it, is it viable for them? Yes. I think in terms of cyber ed, it's really cool actually like seeing the transformation of the education industry really quickly adapting. I've like, I'll say like having done this for, I think it's coming up on six years now, like starting in 2016, I saw like little to no conversation about cybersecurity outside of maybe media literacy, which talked more about citing sources or looking for good information for research. I think outside of that, there wasn't much convo, but progressing into what we see today, there's so much like innovative, like information sharing between educators who are teaching cyber or teaching comp sci. There's definitely still a need though of like CS pervading into every classroom that's computer science or technology. And with that, folding in cybersecurity as something critical as a part of computer science I say like even I think there's a statistic out there that out of like the top 10 schools in the U.S. that have computer science programs, only one of those schools requires students to take a security class as a requirement. And I think if you're exactly and I think if you're thinking about, oh, these are our developers who are going to be building technology that revolutionizes our future and they it's not mandatory for them to understand security foundations of how to build a secure and safe app environment. That's like a scary thought to think. So I think there definitely is development that needs to happen, meaning we need more educators in the space, right? What's the reason we don't have as many security classes? We don't have as many security teachers. So a couple of things need to happen in order for this main central issue to be solved. But I think it is really cool to think about, oh my God, cyber is not only this one role where I have to be this specific type of person who loves math or loves coding. I can be someone who's passionate about change, right? All it requires, I think, right now is to go into existing structures and organizations and for people like our generation to look at those organizations and say, like, this is why cyber isn't working right now because this small part and fraction of this organization is functioning the way that we've functioned for 20 years. But let's change that. Let's do something like let's build a tool Let's build a dashboard, let's program something, or let's change the way that the organization is structured. So I really do think there's power in like bringing that unique perspective still and understanding that cyber is not one stereotype. Definitely agree with that. I think that needs to be constantly voiced about. Do you, Now going a little bit switching gears a bit more towards you and yourself and what you currently have and achieving, what is the future? What's the ideal goals for you now that you've sort of set a structure in a course? Where, where do you want to go? Where do you see yourself in the next five, 10 years? This is such a good question. I feel like I'm asking myself this every single day and it's transforming. <laughs> but the more that I experience cyber from all of its angles, whether that be private sector at technology companies or government and public service and understanding how the government does their own cyber for civilians, all of those things kind of bring me back to this point of just being an innovator. I think cyber is one of those fields that's just now transforming and molding itself, and it's going to continue to be that way. And 
seeing myself, I think I, I definitely want to be in a fast paced role that requires a lot of like lean innovation, managing teams of people who are motivated and, and passionate about solving these issues. And I think also a space that I see as needing of a lot of these solutions is again going back to how do we embed safety into the products that we see in the future as sort of inherent to the design process. We think about like color and UI UX design and the way that a certain button looks on a screen and we do behavioral testing for that, but there's not a lot of research or projects around what does it mean to build a healthier internet for women and children? What does it mean to protect them from harms and make that an inherent part of our computer systems? So I think diving into that issue further and understanding how we can do that is probably something that I want to tackle at some point too. Uh, amazing. And why do you think that there is this 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 gender gap between sort of male participation versus female participation in the workplace? Yeah. I actually was just reading, there was a BCG article that just came out about this a couple of days ago, but they were saying and re-emphasizing some of the patterns that we've seen in the past, which mean that the sort of education starts early and has to be done often and repeated for a young woman or a student to finally pick up and understand like, oh my God, this could be where I see myself in the future. Mm. So starting early, I think the statistic was saying that 70, like 78% of young women who ended up working in cyber as a profession were exposed to it at their middle school ages or elementary. So that kind of shows us, oh, we do have to start super early. And then another is role models, having enough adequate amount of role models that young students feel seen and heard and feel like, oh, cyber is not, again, this one type of person, this one background that I have to come from. I can come from any background and feel valuable, like I have a voice here. That's another. And then I think just community. Community is what I saw lacking when I, before I kind of started the projects of GirlCon, but I think seeing and feeling the magic of an, a community of young women who are also passionate about technology and the ways that it can revolutionize every industry vertical has been so empowering as a young person to feel like, oh my God, I'm not alone in this. I can do this with my little army of 50 or 100 or 900 different young women who also feel the same way. So a couple of things fold into that, but again, starting early, going to the platforms where we already exist, like TikTok and Instagram and going to social media platforms where we're already like having such a big presence. And then of course, like role models and, and catering to our generation. Amazing. And I, I agree with you in all those, in all those cases, just want to sort of, I guess, clarify is that in the, the solutions process, one is to tackle the issue by giving education at an earlier stage in both like a female's and male's life, obviously. But I find that in, at least in Australia, my experiences, we don't even seem to have cybersecurity programs in school. We have maybe some IT, but that's much more like with the coding. But at least in my experience, there isn't much of a of a high school certificate curriculum on cybersecurity that's not very prominent mm -hmm. so that would definitely be a good thing to to tackle and yeah i agree again with the community is that the community seems very much in those businesses but doesn't really give the much support for people who go well what, what opportunities are available so those those two factors are actually big 
like you've identified big gaps in, in, in the market. I think those are good things to try to tackle. I guess my final question is, what skills would someone have to have to thrive in the cybersecurity industry? We've already heard for some previous guests that have come on here that there is a lot about constant need for learning and how there's always evolving and changing atmospheres and a lot of passion and drive for something that you really enjoy. Do you have any other additional skill sets that you think would be a necessary component of getting into the cybersecurity industry? I feel like it's just about putting the pieces that we've talked about together already. So for example, like the education that you're having in school and then the projects that you're doing outside of school and the narrative that you're building of like, oh, I'm passionate about this and this turned into this. And I'm telling you, like, I didn't even know what trust and safety or product safety was before two years ago when like I started researching into hate speech online and what that manifests into on platforms that young people exist on. So I think just being open to being changed is is a big idea of like, okay, maybe I went into it thinking I was going to be a, a white hat hacker, which might be the case at some point in my career, but maybe right now I want to focus and narrow the scope into this one particular focus. So keeping up with the kind of ebbs and flows of how you're feeling, what passion, like what activates your almonds is what my friend says of what keeps you passionate. And then going with the flow and learning along the way is sort of the main structure. And I think that's like relevant to any career, honestly, but specifically in cyber, it's changing every day. So keep up with podcasts like this one or cyber news podcasts or news articles that you read every day about cyber, those will definitely help you stay on top of what's happening in the industry and just kind of see where you gravitate to when you're reading those and listening to those pieces. Absolutely wonderful. I really appreciate you coming on to speak with us. I've learned so much already. I mean, I hope and I wish you all the best for your future endeavors. Thank you. Thank you for having me. This is so much fun. And I also wanted to mention if anybody wants to check out Bits and Bytes, just to provide that information, you can check us out at www.bits, the letter N. So that's bitsnbytes.us.com. And I can also say that I'm on LinkedIn and Twitter, and you can definitely find me if you want to reach me. So thanks so much, everyone, for, for having me and having this chat. You heard it, folks. This is Kyle Guru. Thanks very much, guys. This has been another KBI Media Production.